This is episode 173 of the IDRA Class Notes Podcast. Students who are of color do not generally see themselves reflected in the curriculum. They don't necessarily see themselves reflected by the teacher that is delivering instruction. And in a lot of cases, they don't even see it among their classmates. They may be a very small number in the demographic. So in order for a student to feel engaged or want to be engaged in school, they have to feel included. Welcome to IDRA's Class Notes. I'm Aurelio Montemayor, and I'll be in conversation with my colleague, Paula Johnson, who is working on her PhD. And we're going to be talking about professional development for today, how to transform both how we help prepare our teachers and eventually our classrooms. Paula, what is the transformation you're seeking? Well, when you look at the classroom of today, you see much more multicultural students. You see in our society a very different trend and climate than you did, say, even 20 years ago. So when we're talking about transforming classrooms, the way that we deliver instruction, we've talked about different instructional models, but today we're talking about bringing culture into the classroom. That for a while it's been, you hear the term diversity and we have to teach for diverse learners, but actually delivering instruction to students who may not be of the same race, the same religion, they might not speak the same languages. And so it's important for us to take culture as something that can add to our classroom instruction rather than be something that we have to do. Like so it's diversity as a benefit as opposed to... A barrier. A barrier, right. Yes. That we sometimes you have students who are English learners, and that is seen as a challenge, and, oh, I have to do all this extra stuff. Instead of saying, how can I incorporate scaffolding language into my classroom to benefit those students and my other students? Because students who are of color do not generally see themselves reflected in the curriculum. They don't necessarily see themselves reflected by the teacher that is delivering instruction. And in a lot of cases, they don't even see it among their classmates. They may be a very small number in the demographic. So in order for a student to feel engaged or want to be engaged in school, they have to feel included. And, you know, aside from the fact that the large majority of teachers tend to be white, yes. and the large majority of students now are of color and of yes. different cultures. Even if you're a teacher of color, but you're prepared to teach a student who's middle class and white right. as in your preparation, even though you might match the, the language and culture of mm -hmm. your student, there are issues, right? right? And especially teachers of color, uh, research says there's a culture of care, especially women of color in the classrooms. There's this, this mothering nature about teaching versus strictly thinking about objectives and skills because they think of the child more as an individual than of, you know, we've got to get this to this test. And of course, testing is important, but in order for students to truly be successful beyond our classroom, beyond the tests, they have to want to learn. And setting that type of environment takes a little bit more than just knowing your TEKS and your um, state standards. And also, one of the things you stress in what you wrote is that we're talking about the 21st century skills needed. What are those? Well, the National Education Association spearheaded this initiative called the Partnership for 21st Century Learning. And there are four C's of 21st century learning that basically 
empower students to be successful in life beyond the classroom. And it's the four C's are critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity. Now, that is not a teak or any state standard. You're not going to find that in the Louisiana GLEs. You're not going to find that among student targets. However, in life, whether it's career, whether it's going to college, students have to work collaboratively. They have to be able to communicate their thinking. They have to be critical thinkers to be problem solvers. And so that type of environment has to be prepared for them. So we have to provide opportunities for them to work in collaborative groups. I think there's an irony because when we see the criticism of the success of standardized testing, Mm -hmm. those C's are not involved when you're preparing kids for the test. When you're teaching to the test, you know, collaboration is not there. In fact, that's cheating. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But when you look at a, if you look at an instructional model like project-based learning, it is all about critical thinking and collaboration and communication. And the creativity is like off the charts. You can't finish a project without working with the group, without talking about your ideas and critically looking at them to see, are they really going to address the problem? In your presentation style, you have to get more creative. I mean, so those things are are impossible to do for students who won't even talk to their classmates or aren't ever given opportunities to talk to their classmates. You know, even any type of project doesn't have to be PBL, but for a long time in in our classes, we were using the Dana Center assessments. It's just an alternate assessment technique to give students a minor Mm -hmm. project. They had to answer all the same questions that you would on a state test or Mm -hmm. on a classroom test. However, they were given the opportunity to present the information in a different way. They could add themselves to it. It was theirs. They owned it. And that's what we're missing in a lot of classrooms is ownership of the material. The whole, why am I doing this? The four C's, I think, point to something that is really strong both in our organization and in your work in teacher development, which is the word engagement. How do you help teachers focus on and see what true engagement is among students? Well, you know, within the professional development arena, when I'm facilitating a a workshop, engagement is like I try to model what that looks like from the deliverer of the information to the receiver of information. And one is... I want to make sure that I am connecting with every participant. And so their level of engagement, you can tell when someone is off task. And teachers, I think, are, I think we're worse than the kids sometimes, mm-hmm. or at least we, we're pretty much evenly matched. But I have to make sure that the content I'm delivering, though informative, I have my own standards. You know, I know what my objectives are. But the way that I deliver it, I want to make sure that they have an opportunity to participate. This is not a sit and get. Right. As we in other words, you don't abdicate being a teacher. There is direct instruct, but lecture Q&A is not the standard model. Right. I make sure that I offer time for minor um, turn and talks sprinkled throughout. You know, talk to your neighbor. And the way that reflects in the classroom is students are more willing to engage in conversations if you lower the effective filter. So before I put any child on the spot and say, answer this question for mm-hmm. me, I say, you know, turn and talk to your neighbor about what you're thinking about this problem or, you know, how that sentence affected you or what do you think is going to happen next. Then when I ask them to share out, they're not feeling so spotlighted where it's like, okay, we're in this together. Right. We 
we said, <laughs> and so they're more willing to talk to me. So you model that in the teacher workshop, Absolutely. where teachers have critical conversations with pairs and respond. Absolutely. Then they see how they do it. Absolutely. With their students. And the other thing is, we the the questioning techniques that I use. There's something called a question chart, where it's a matrix and it allows you to switch up the dynamics and difficulty mm-hmm. of the question that you're asking. And it goes from least complex to most complex on a diagonal. And the thing is, we have a tendency as teachers to ask the same type of question over and over again, which are usually very low on the Bloom's taxonomy chart. What is, where did, it's very factual based. But on this question chart, it becomes four quadrants where you get the factual, the analytical, the exploratory, and the predictive and evaluative. And so you can change a question from a low-level question to a high-level question in a minute just by changing the verbs that you're using or the way you ask the question. And so I think that asking... Well, when you ask a question that has only one right answer as as opposed to questions that are open-ended and and have a variety of responses. That's my point. We really shock kids' systems when instead of asking what did or who did, saying how might you or how could it have happened and they're like wait you that's an opinion type of question or predictive or you're asking me to place value on something and we don't generally do that with students especially as a math teacher students are shocked when you ask them a question like that well, it's, it's the same in teaching literature or anything else. Mm-hmm. When you just want to make sure that they read the story. And got the answer right. You know, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't do much for critical no. thinking. But applying it to themselves in some way makes it so much more personal. What are some of the challenges that you've been facing or that you face in helping teachers, number one, see diversity as a benefit, and number two, to know how to get critical conversations with the students and things like that? What are the challenges you see? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges that I see, and because we are an equity assistance center, this is kind of what comes up in my work, is the disparity in teacher expectations sometimes of students. Like those questions. Those so higher, you don't ask critical questions if you don't think they can answer them. Exactly. They can't handle There's them. Yeah. A, there tends to be, I call them the myth nomers and the myth takes of um, teaching students who are either of poverty or English language learners or have a history of struggling in that subject. So, so there's a class and race and ethnicity kind All of thing. All of those yes. things come in. And so one of the types of professional development I recommend is cultural competency or implicit bias, diversity training, however they want to call it. It really is important for teachers to understand who they are in that classroom because we all bring what I call the luggage, um, you know, our baggage of life. And I don't necessarily mean in a negative way, but it's our experiences. And it creates implicit bias. Our life creates implicit bias. I have a preference for dogs over cats. There's a reason for that, and it's scientific. But because of how we are raised and the environments that we are brought up in, we will have preferences towards what we know. Sure. Because we have this disparate racial climate in classrooms, there's a tension, mm-hmm. there's a misunderstanding that can occur, especially that I see in disciplinary actions against students, that almost yes. almost always you will see that more students of color proportionally or disproportionately are receiving disciplinary referrals than their white counterparts. Well, and the teachers are well, you know how those boys are. You know, exactly. That, that stuff. So there's a male trend, yeah. you know, trend against males. But when you look at the African-American numbers... African-American, Latino boys. African-American and Latino. Yes. And then even now, a lot of um, black girls... Yes. It, when you look at student codes of conduct, it's there's nothing in there that says she rolled her eyes at me or she breathed, she sighed heavily. (laughs) Um, You know, and they'll call that willful disobedience or intentional disrespect of a teacher. And I'm like, 
if that was me, that means I was trying to regain, yeah. like I'm, I'm regulating my own behavior so I don't get in trouble and I still get sent to the office. So that implicit bias, what you're actually moving towards is explicit asset-based teaching. Yes. Explicitly looking at the funds yes. of knowledge, whatever the students and their families And it bring. doesn't mean going overboard. It just means understanding that we have cultural differences. We have regional differences. Like when I say culture, I don't necessarily mean black, white, Latino. I mean the way that our expectations, our value system, the way we communicate with others. Some families are loud. Some families, the children do not speak until they are spoken mm -hmm. to. Some families cuss. You know, there are different things, but when we bring these students into the same classroom, there's one set of expectations, and we don't take into account that they may not be taught those same values, ideals, or expectations at home. That has to be modeled in the classroom, and we have to take into account that because they may not have that skill set that we think they should have, it has to be incorporated over time. We can't expect a child to switch from, you know, day to night just because they're in our classroom. But on top of that, like we talk about the differences among students, it's not just racial. There may be recent immigrants, but even if they're not, if English is not their first language, we have a tendency to have lower expectations because sure. they don't speak the language. But sometimes that language is Hmong or it could be Thai. Like, there's so many other languages in Spanish, especially across the country that we're right. seeing. And sometimes it's even so much as in Mississippi right now, there's a lot of students that are, their families are coming in from Yemen. So when you talk about ESL instruction for a child who is used to Arabic, you're not just talking about the difference in cognates, the symbols are even different, and they, they read from right to left and not left to right. So there's so many other things to be taken into account. Okay, so then wrapping up, in terms of you see hope in this. There's definitely hope. It's just a matter of teachers seeing their students for the individuals that they are, but also recognizing what they are themselves bringing into the classroom, and to find the commonalities among themselves and their students to center the learning around that. Great. You know, that we are all in this together. Thank you. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.